play. I um, Before I get started, I actually need to kind of talk slash vent, I guess, to you guys about the past week I've had because, well, I, I kind of need it. And I like to think of this podcast as not just a way to learn about witchcraft and stuff and spiritualism and all of that good jazz, but kind of to, to treat it as a way to make friends and establish community. And I've had a couple people say that when they've listened to my episodes, it feels like they're talking to a friend. And that's the vibe that I want to give with my podcast. That's what that's the, that's one of the big goals. That's big, big, large goal. Because, again, want to make friends and establish a nice community. And I just kind of need to to get to get my, my, my past week off my chest. Okay. So I work at a shoe distribution center. We receive in shoes, we ship them and all the good jazz. And it's for the most part, it's, it's a great job. Like the people there, they're great. They're very nice and, and considerate and patient and it's it's a clean facility, much cleaner than the old job that I worked at. And I I genuinely enjoy doing what I do. I'm a lead there, so I'm kind of like a mini mini manager in a in a way, but you know, without the the pay and uh all of the extra stress that comes with that. Well, I since since May, I've been learning the shipping portion of the distribution center and my training was not great uh i was being trained by my one manager and they know their stuff they're very knowledgeable and they're very good at what they do but because at the time they were the only manager on my shift they would be called away and it was kind of a fragmented training and I didn't get what I needed. And because of that, a lot of the stuff that I've been trying, that I've been having to do down shipping has kind of been hit or miss. Like we have standard operation procedure instructions and all that good jazz. And we have, whenever we get trained, we have to read them and that's great. But when you're kind of pushed right into a situation with minimal, you know, actual training by someone who's more knowledgeable and having to pick it up about two days after actual training, it's kind of hard to go ahead and read through those thoroughly and actually remember everything. I don't think it's possible for a lot of people to remember word for word what's in the SOP and all that good jazz, but I I try my best. I reach out to them still because they are still there. Thankfully, we have a second manager on our shift, so they're not quite as burdened with having to be everywhere. But because my training was subpar, I've been making a lot of errors in there, and part of it is on me because I am forgetful part of having depression and having 
in the past come from a relationship, a personal relationship, as well as a occupational relationship that was very harmful to my emotional and mental health has made my memory not as great as it was. And as a result, I've made a lot of mistakes in the shipping section of my job. And this past Tuesday, I made one that was a big deal, kind of a big deal. And all of the mistakes that I have made, they've been fixed. So it's nothing that caused too much damage in the long run. But Tuesday, I made this big mistake, and my manager was very transparent, which I like, and they said, you might probably will get written up for this. And I was like, okay, that's fair. Well, Wednesday and Thursday, I, I took off to for, for Maybon. I know that Maybon was on, is on the 23rd, was on the 23rd, but I wanted to take off a couple days during the week, just because that's how I, I planned it out. And I made my first loaf of bread, first homemade loaf of bread on Wednesday, and that was awesome. I also learned how to make homemade funnel cake because I was craving it, and it was delicious. But I've kind of been an anxious mess. And while I did have off, I was going to initially use the two days that I had off during the week to do research for this particular episode. Well, I did not do that. <laughs> I focused more on myself and taking care of myself and relaxing as much as I could because my anxiety was out the roof because of the mistake that I made on Tuesday. And I did not do the research for this episode. And to be honest with you, I'm not sorry because I, I was not feeling it. Uh, the topic that I pulled was one on an abandoned theme park, but I was not feeling that. And when I did do some mild research, there wasn't a lot of meat there. And I want meaty, when it comes to stuff like this, I want meaty episodes. I mean, I always want meaty episodes, but but yeah, that one just, I was not feeling it. Mm. I had to take a sip of tea. I have emerald mint tea in my brand new Witch Please mug that I got from Target yesterday. Anyway, so I come back Friday, and sure enough, I get written up for it, for the mistake that I made. And I'm just anxious and worried because, one, it's the first time I've ever actually been written up at a job before, which... I know most of you are probably like, girl, that's nothing. It's like once, come on, girl, you're, you're doing, you're doing, you're doing way better than insert person here. But I'm kind of the main breadwinner of my household. And I was told that depending on the severity of whatever next mistake I made, it could lead straight to termination. And that is scary to me because you know, I have, I have bills as we all do. I have, I have bills and I have a household. I have three wonderful cats that I love all with all my heart. I have a partner who also works and works very hard, but I do have a partner. And outside of that, I do have other friends and family members that I would like to, you know, take care of. 
and it was just really scary. So yesterday, I went out to Sacred Moon Circle Apothecary, and I got myself a clear quartz that I am infusing my energy to help me focus at work. And I got myself a little a little amethyst uh, cork necklace to help with mental clarity. And those two, they're going to help me be better and do better. That's, that's the plan, because I don't want to lose my job, especially in today's climate. But uh, I also went to Target, like I said before, and I got myself an, a new mug, because I definitely need one more of those. I don't. I have so many mugs. I have more mugs than I have clothes. It's, I'm not even joking about that. It's really bad. And uh, I found this... I found this, okay, so I'm a huge dinosaur, I love dinosaurs, I love Jurassic Park, anything with dinosaurs, you know, 100%, I'm all about, I've loved them since I was a wee lass, and I will continue to love them until the day I die, like, if I were to ever be eaten by a dinosaur, I would consider it a great honor, no, no better death for me, I would just be like, yes, eat me, I would even go willing, like, T-Rex, go for it, just chomp me down, chomp my little human body, the only bad thing is that I'm full of of calories and I'm probably and cholesterol and I'm probably not gonna be good for their heart but you know what I'd be honored by that anyway and uh while I was at Target they had a um a Jurassic Park Funko Pop on clearance and I got that and I was so excited and uh anyway I came home yesterday and after spending hours playing video games because one of my favorite hobbies to do is play video games I watched a movie and the movie that I watched was Scary Stories Tell in the Dark. And an idea popped into my mind. What if, instead of doing, forcing myself to do research on something that I'm not feeling, and if I'm not feeling it, I'm sure that it would translate very apparently in my recording of it. And that's not what I want. That's not what I want to convey to you guys. I want to be very upfront and open and honest. And I feel like forcing myself to do a topic that I'm not into, I feel like you guys would be able to pick up on that. And I don't want to do that. That's not what this is for. But I can read you some scary stories. Um, as a child, I loved... Alan Schwartz's Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. I had all three volumes. I got them from the Scholastic Book Order paper pamphlet thing that you would occasionally get in school. But uh, those, because I uh, was not very good at taking care of my things, those were destroyed. But a few years ago, I managed to get the Scary Stories Treasury, which has all three of the books in it. And I thought... Maybe it would be totally worth it to read like a handful of stories from this book because, again, I love these and it is a Sabbath spook. And I wanted to do something spooky instead of just being like, okay, I'm not doing the Sabbath spook, I'm just going to do a normal episode. No, 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 baby. When I say that we're going to have a spooky episode, we're going to have a spooky episode, okay? So I hope that you guys uh, forgive me for needing to 
kind of vent and give you some personal information. I'm sure that you guys are bored to tears for it, but it was very important to me to just get this off my chest and to make it very apparent that I am human, just like you guys, and I just need that sometimes. So, yeah, I'm going to take another, another sip of tea. Mm. Emerald Mint from the Dollar Tea Club. It's great. Love it. Alrighty, so, like I said, I'll be reading Scary Stories from the Scary Stories Treasury. Three books to chill your bones, collected from folklore and retold by Alan Schwartz. Illustrated by Stephen Gammel. Camel? Gammel. Gumball. Uh, Alright, so I've got three of my favorite stories, one from each book. Uh bookmarked for you and yeah here we go the one from book one that I chose was the Windigo. a wealthy man wanted to go hunting in a part of northern Canada where few people had ever hunted he traveled to a trading post and tried to find a guide to take him but no one would do it it was too dangerous they said finally he found an Indian who needed money badly and agreed to take him. The Indian's name was Defago. They made camp in the snow near a large frozen lake. For three days they hunted, but they had nothing to show for it. The third night, a windstorm came up. They lay in their tent, listening to the wind howling and the trees whipping back and forth. To see the storm better, the hunter opened the tent flap. What he saw startled him. There wasn't a breath of air stirring, and the trees were standing perfectly still. Yet he could hear the wind howling. And the more he listened, the more it sounded as if it were calling DeFago's name. DeFago, it called. Defago. I must be losing my mind, the hunter thought. But Defago had gotten out of his sleeping bag. He was huddled in a corner of the tent, his head buried in his arms. What's this all about? the hunter asked. It's nothing, Defago said. But the wind continued to call him and DeFago became more tense and more restless. DeFago, it called. DeFago. Suddenly, he jumped to his feet and began to run from the tent, but the hunter grabbed him and wrestled him to the ground. You can't leave me out here! The hunter shouted. Then the wind called again, and Defago broke loose and ran into the darkness. The hunter could hear him screaming as he went. Again and again he cried, Oh, my fiery feet! My burning feet of fire! Then his voice faded away, and the wind died down. At daybreak, the hunter followed Defago's tracks in the snow. They went through the woods, down toward the lake, then out onto the ice. 
but soon he noticed something strange. The steps DeFago had taken got longer and longer. They were so long no human being could have taken them. It was as if something had helped him to hurry away. The hunter followed the tracks out to the middle of the lake, but there they disappeared. At first, he thought that the Fago had fallen through the ice, but there wasn't any hole. Then he thought that something had pulled him off the ice into the sky, but that made no sense. As he stood wondering what happened, the wind picked up again. Soon it was howling as it had the night before. Then he heard DeFago's name. It was coming from up above, and again he heard DeFago screaming, My fiery feet! My burning feet! But there was nothing to be seen. Now the hunter wanted to leave that place as fast as he could. He went back to camp and packed. Then he left some food for DeVago, and he started out. Weeks later, he reached civilization. The following year, he went back to hunt in that area again. He went to the same trading post looking for a guide. The people there could not explain what happened to DeFago that night, but they had not seen him since then. Maybe it was the Windigo, one of them said and laughed. <laughs> it's supposed to come with the wind. It drags you along at great speed until your feet are burned away, and more of you than that. Then it carries you into the sky, and it drops you. It's just a crazy story, but that's what some of the Indians say. A few days later, the hunter was at the trading post again. An Indian came in and sat by the fire. He had a blanket wrapped around him, and he wore a hat so that you couldn't see his face. The hunter thought there was something familiar about him. He walked over and he asked, Are you DeFago? The Indian didn't answer. Do you know anything about him? No answer. He began to wonder if something was wrong, if the man needed help, but he couldn't see his face. Are you all right? he asked. No answer. To get a look at him, he lifted the Indian's hat. Then he screamed. There is nothing under the hat but a pile of ashes. Ooh, that was that was spooky. My goodness, I uh, I want to do a a disclaimer up front that I apologize for some of the language in this book. I uh, I hope I didn't offend anyone. It I failed to actually read over these before I started recording this podcast, and I was not aware that it said Indians. Ah, tea. So I hope that I didn't offend anyone or anything like that. That wasn't my intention. I'm just straight reading from the book. So I I did not write this book. It was written by Alan Schwartz, so that's, that's his fault. You take it up with him. <laughs> All right, story number two. Somebody fell from a loft. <clears throat> I had signed on as an ordinary seaman on the falls of Ettrick, a merchant ship bound for England. 
The first time I saw that ship, I knew her right away. She was the old Gertrude Spurshoe. I had sailed on her years before when she was painted brown and gold. Now she was painted black and had a new name, but it was the same ship for sure. We had a pretty good crew for that voyage, except for one hard-looking ticket named McLaren. He was a good seaman, but there was something about him that I didn't trust. He was kind of secretive, kept mostly to himself. One day, somebody told him that I had worked on the old Gertrude. For some reason, he got all a tremble over that. Then I catched him giving me all of those ugly black looks, as if he was itching to knife me in the back. I guess it had something to do with the Gertrude, but I didn't know what. Well, this one day, we were trying to work our way through a dripping black fog. You'd scarcely know we had all the lights on, and it was a dead calm. There wasn't a breath of fresh air. The ship just lay there, wallowing in a trowel, a rolling and a rolling, going nowheres. I was standing my watch around midships, and McLaren was doing his trick at the wheel. The rest of the crew was scattered around one place and another. It was as quiet as it could be. Then all at once, Whacko! This thing hits the deck right in front of McLaren. He lets go a screech that turns my blood cold, and he falls down in a faint. The second mate starts yelling that somebody has fallen from aloft. Laying there, just forward of the wheel was someone, or something, dressed in oilskins, with blood oozing out from underneath. The captain ran and fetched a big light from his cabin so we could see who it was. They kind of straightened him out to get a good look at his face. He was big. He was a big, ugly-looking devil. But nobody knew who he was or what he was doing up there. At least, nobody was saying. When McLaren came to from his faint, they tried to get something out of him. All he did was jabber away and kept rolling those big, wild-looking eyes of his. Everybody was getting more and more excited. We all wanted to heave the body overboard as quick as we could. There was something weird about it, as if it wasn't real. But the captain wasn't so sure about getting rid of it that way. Could it be a stowaway? He asked. But the ship was so filled with lumber that we, with lumber we were carrying, there was no space where a living thing could hide for three weeks, which is how long we had been out. Even if it was a stowaway, what was it doing aloft on such a dirty day? There was no reason for anyone to be up there. There was nothing to see. Finally, the captain gave up and told us to heave him overboard. Then nobody would touch him. The mate ordered us to pick him up, but nobody made a move. Then he tried coaxing, but that didn't do any good. Suddenly, the loony McLaren starts yelling, I handled him once, and I can handle him again! He picks up the body and staggers over to the railing with it. He is just about to throw it overboard, when it wraps its two big, long arms around him, and over they go together. Then on the way down, one of them starts laughing in a horrible way. The mates are yelling to launch a boat, but nobody would get into the boat. Not on a night like that. We threw a couple of life preservers after them, but nobody, but everybody knew they wouldn't help. So what was that? Or what? Or was it? So that was that, or was it? The first chance I had to go home after that, 
I went right over to see old Captain Spurshu, who was captain of when the Gertrude was around. Well, he says, one trip these two outlandish men shipped aboard the Gertrude. One was McLaren, the other was a really big fella. The big one was always picking on McLaren and thumping him around. And McLaren was always talking about how he would get him back. Well, this wet, dirty night, the two of them was up there alone, and the big one came flying down, killed himself deader than a herring. McLaren says the foot rope they were using parted, and when he almost and he all how he almost fell himself. But everyone who saw that rope knew she didn't give way on her own. She had been cut through with a knife. After that, whenever we came into port, McLaren thought we were going to get the police after him, and he'd get pretty scared. But we couldn't prove anything, so we didn't try. In the end, I guess the big fellow took care of things in his own way. If he was a ghost that came back, that's what he was. If there be things like ghosts. Apologies for stumbling over a couple words there a little bit. Sometimes when I read my, uh, sometimes my mind goes faster than my mouth, if that makes any sense, and I stumble over things way too, way too often, and it can get a little frustrating. I get tongue-tied. Alrighty. So... The third and last story that I'm going to read is my own personal favorite that I ever read from these books. And it's titled, Harold. When it got hot in the valley, Thomas and Alfred drove their cows up to a cool green pasture in the mountains to graze. Usually they stayed there with the cows for two months. Then they brought them down to the valley again. The work was easy enough, but oh, it was boring. All day the two men tended their cows. At night they went back to the tiny hut where they lived. They ate summer and worked in the garden and went to sleep. It was always the same. Then Thomas had an idea that changed everything. Let's make a doll the size of a man, he said. It would be fun to make, and we could put it in the garden to scare away the birds. It should look like Harold, Alfred said. Harold was a farmer they both hated. They made the doll out of old sacks stuffed with straw. They gave it a pointed nose like Harold's and tiny eyes like his. Then they added dark hair and a twisted frown. Of course, they also gave it Harold's name. Each morning on their way to the pasture, they tied Harold, Harold to a pole in the garden to scare away the birds. Each night, they brought him inside so that he wouldn't get ruined if it rained. When they were feeling playful, they would talk to him. One of them might say, How are the vegetables growing today, Harold? The other, then the other, making believe her was Harold, would answer in a crazy voice. Very slowly. They both would laugh, but not Harold. Whenever something went wrong, they took it out on Harold. They would curse at him, even kick or punch him. Sometimes one of them would take the food they were eating, which they were both sick of, and smear it on the doll's face. How do you like that stew, Harold? he would ask. 
Well, you'd better eat it, or else. Then the two men would howl with laughter. One night, after Thomas had wiped Harold's face with food, Harold grunted. <clears throat> did, did you hear that? Alfred asked. It, it was Harold, Thomas, Thomas said. I was watching him when it happened. I can't believe it. How could he grunt? Alfred asked. He's just a sack of straw. It's not possible. Let's throw him into the fire, said Thomas, and that will be that. Now, let's not do anything stupid, Alfred said. We don't know what's going on. When we move the cows down, we'll leave him behind. For now, let's just keep an eye on him. So they left Harold sitting in the corner of the hut. They didn't talk to him or take him outside anymore. Now and then the dog grunted, but that was all. After a few days, they decided there was nothing to be afraid of. Maybe a mouse or some insects had gotten inside Harold and were making those noises. So, Thomas and Alfred went back to their old ways. Each morning, they put Harold out in the garden, and each night, they brought him back into the hut. When they felt playful, they joked with him. When they felt mean, they treated him as badly as ever. Then one night, Alfred noticed something that frightened him. Harold is growing, he said. I was thinking the same thing, Thomas said. Maybe it's just our imagination, Alfred replied. We have been up here on this mountain too long. The next morning, while they were eating, Harold stood up and walked out of the hut. He climbed on top of the roof and trod back and forth like a horse on its hind legs. All day and all night, he trotted like that. In the morning, Harold came down and stood in a far corner of the pasture. The men had no idea what he would do next. They were afraid. They decided to take the cows down to the valley that same day. When they left, Harold was nowhere in sight. They felt as if they had escaped a great danger and began joking and singing. But when they had gone only a mile or two, they realized they had forgotten to bring the milking stools. Neither one of them wanted to go back, but the stools would cost a lot to replace. There really is nothing to be afraid of, they told one another. After all, what could a doll do? They drew straws to see which one would go back. It was Thomas. Oh, I'll catch up with you, he said, and Alfred walked on toward the valley. When Alfred came to a rise in the path, he looked back for Thomas. He did not see him anywhere, but he did see Harold. The doll was on the roof of the hut again. As Alfred watched, Harold kneeled and stretched out a bloody skin to dry in the sun. Alrighty, so I hope y'all enjoyed enjoyed those. I uh, I know as a child it uh, gave me some chills and all that stuff, but that's that's when I was a wee a wee little lass. But 
Alright, maybe, maybe I'll do just one more. Let's see here. What do I want to read about? Which one do I want to do? Which one did I want to? Let's do the black dog. <clears throat> It was 11 o'clock at night. Peter Rothberg was in bed on the second floor of the old house where he lived alone. It had gotten so chilly, he went downstairs to turn up the heat. As Peter was on his way back to bed, a black dog ran down the stairs. It passed him and disappeared into the darkness. Where did you come from? Peter said. He had never seen the dog before. He turned on all the lights and looked in every room. He could not find the dog anywhere. He went outside and brought in the two watchdogs he kept in the backyard, but they acted as if they were the only dogs in the house. The next night, again at 11 o'clock, Peter was in his bedroom. He heard what sounded like a dog walking around the room above him. He dashed upstairs and threw open the door. The room was empty. He looked under the bed. He looked in the closet. Nothing. But when he got back to his bedroom, he heard a dog running down the stairs. It was the black dog. He tried to follow it, but again, he could not find where it had gone. From then on, every night at eleven, Peter heard the dog walking in the room above him. The room was always empty, but after he left, the dog would come out of hiding, run down the stairs, and disappear. One night, Peter's neighbor waited with him for the dog. At the usual time, they heard it above them. Then they heard it on the stairs. When they went out into the hall, it was standing at the foot of the stairs, looking up at them. The neighbor whistled, and the dog wagged its tail. Then it was gone. Things went on this way until the night Peter decided to bring his watchdogs into the house again. Maybe this time they would find the black dog and drive it away. Just before eleven, he took them up to his bedroom and left the door open. Then he heard the black dog moving around above him. His dogs pricked up their ears and ran to the door. Suddenly, they barred their teeth and snarled and backed away. Peter could not see the black dog or hear it but he was sure it had entered his room. His dogs barked and snapped. They darted forward nervously, then backed away again. Suddenly, one of them yelped. It began bleeding, then dropped to the floor, its neck torn open. A minute later, it was dead. Peter's other dog backed into a corner, whimpering. Then everything went still. The next night, Peter's neighbor came back with a pistol. Again, they waited in his bedroom. At eleven o'clock, the black dog came down the stairs. As before, it looked up at them and wagged its tail. When they started toward it with the pistol, it ground and disappeared. That was the last Peter saw of the black dog, but it did not mean that the dog was gone. Now and then, at eleven, he heard it was moving. He he heard it moving around above him. Once he heard it running down the stairs, he never managed to see it again but he knew that it was there.
Ooh, spooky. All right. There we go. There are, those were four scary stories from the Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark series. I uh, I hope y'all enjoyed that. I know that I certainly did. It's it's nice to read things like that, even if they're not like, excuse me, scary, scary or anything like that. They're still pretty spooky. And nice to revisit every now and then. Mm. Ah, all right. Now that we've reached the end of the stories and all that good jazz, let's do a drawing. And this time I'm pulling from the Halloween Oracle deck. Again, by Stacy DeMarco. Let's give it a nice little shuffle. Got that nice little shuffle ASMR ASMR sound. Whatever. Words words be hard sometimes, you know? Alrighty. Okay. Got one. Which one is this one? Oh. Oh. That one's a new one. Zombie. Let's open our little book to where the zombie. Last one. Zombie control. The dead arise, voices a mumbling. After our brains, our screams, they are tumbling. Zombies have become quite the fashion recently, much like vampires. Turn on the television, and you can't escape the moaning and groaning of these, the living dead. And yes, they do seem to be after your brains. There are even public zombie walks, where people dress up as zombies and appear en masse on roads in, in cities. But zombies are not merely a fun icon for popular culture. Traditionally, they are mainly associated with the African and Haitian voodoo religion. Zombies are said to be dead bodies reanimated by incantations chanted by a learning practitioner, some called called a boker, B-O-K-O-R, and they are usually enlivened for a purpose. The practitioner is said to capture part of a living soul to animate the body, and that it is always a temporary action, as the soul cannot be contained in that, in that decomposing body for long, or God will take the soul back. One of the most frightening aspects of the idea of zombieism is the idea of our souls and consciousness being trapped inside a body that does not do our bidding, but someone else's. Another is the idea of being buried alive, the fate of some, it is said, who get trapped in already dead bodies. Should the zombie step unsteadily into your life, it's time to look at the concept of control. Do you want to control everything, leaving little for free expression? Do you choose partners who are not your equals so they can so that they are more easily manipulated and changed to your liking? Or do you allow that to happen to you? If you are not living your most authentic life, it's time to look at how and why to change that. Oh, I kind of like that. And again, very appropriate considering that it's it is a Sabbath spook. Alrighty. Put the rest of the cards away. Do 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 dooby dooby doo. It's been it's been raining here, and uh, it's it's nice. We do need the rain, but I really would have liked to go outside this weekend. I uh, right now have two little chime candles going for spells that I'm I'm currently doing. Just little ones, nothing nothing major. 
But it is time to pick the topic for the next episode. Let's see here. What am I feeling? You. Okay. All right. Well, there we go. Okay, then. Will do. Until next episode, this has been Dana of Every Which Way, a marvelously witchy podcast. I hope you all have a wonderful day and have a marvelously magical Monday. Later, witches. Bye.